0: This January 6th, come to Los Angeles for the kind of Christmas nobody can steal. The second live filthy Armenian adventure experience. A festive Saturday night of jingle judgments, miracle cures, justice dreams, and wild white pills for the fateful year ahead. Starring warrior queen Amanda Milius, mercurial vibe doctor Benjamin Braddock, anti-woke sex symbol and civil rights prognosticator Richard Hanania, and other dear friends and surprise guests from the filthy Armenian adventure universe. We found a special new secret location for this one, a cozy historic hidden shrine to adventure in East LA. Santa will be there, and you never know who else will come down that chimney with him. Doors at 7, show at 8, party till the wee small hours. For tickets, go to tiny.cc slash If you struggle with links, DM at FilthyArmenian on X or Instagram. And enjoy your conventional Christmas, your holiday, your Hanukkah, your Kwanzaa. But on the 12th night, come to the gold pole for the real holy deal. January 6, 2024, Filthy Armenian Adventures presents White Christmas. What's the matter with me? I don't have much to say Daylight sneaking through the window And I'm still here in this all night cafe Walking to and fro beneath the moon Out to where the trucks are rolling slow To sit down on this bank of sand watch the river flow. Wish I was back in the city, instead of this old bank of sand, the sun beating down over the chimney tops, and the one I love so near to him. If I had wings, And I could fly. I know exactly where I would go. But right now, I'll just sit here contentedly and watch the river flow. People disagreeing on all just about everything makes you stop and wonder why. Why only yesterday, I saw somebody on the street who just couldn't help but cry. So River keeps rolling though, no matter what gets in the way or which way the wind does blow. And as long as it does, I'm going to sit right now and watch the river flow. This episode of Filthy Armenian Adventures is brought to you by The Rug Merchants, Cigar Singers, and Oligarchs of the Night, who subscribe to the show on Patreon.com slash Armenian. If this episode touches you, or if anything we do touches you, subscribe now at Patreon.com slash Armenian to get twice as many adventures and to keep the lights on and to put a bit of money where your soul is. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. People disagreein' everywhere you look. Makes you want to stop and read a book. Only yesterday, I saw somebody on the street that was... really shook. This old river keeps rolling though. No matter what gets in the way, and which way the wind does blow. And as long as it does, I'm gonna sit right here. Watch the river flow. Watch the river flow. I'm just going to sit right here and watch the river flow. I'm going to watch the river flow. Watch the river flow. Watch the river flow. when and you are listening to Filthy Armenian Adventures. Perviously on Filthy Armenian Adventures, back in episode 42, we were bobbing out. We were bobmaxing, We were reliving Bob Dylan's Rough and Rowdy Ways album and concert at the Pantages Theatre on Hollywood Boulevard. And now, we're back for the rest of the show. We are back on Hollywood Boulevard. We are back at the Pantages Theatre. And we are back with Bob to explore his final campaign, his final testament, his final, maybe something else. It's not just a final tour. This isn't an, oh, doesn't he look great up there, kind of show the 82-year-old is on 60 years since his first successful rebellion with sound. He doesn't look great up there. He looks like a corpse. He never looks great. He looks like he's been living under your bed flossing with banjo strings. He looks like the Boogeyman, but for those eyes. Those eyes, so sea-like, they probably have their own little relationship with the moon. And if there's one thing even the Boogeyman's harshest critics will concede, is that he knows how to boogie. In Volume 1, we covered Act 1 of the show and of the life. We begin at the beginning of the life's Act 2. Which I mark at the recording session of Watching the River Flow. New York City, 1971, after the five year intermission where Bob Dylan tried his best to disappear. It had started with a motorcycle accident in '66. He had recovered, but his ears were too sharp not to hear the prophecy of where the '60s were headed. He did not want to be a symbol of that kind of crash. He wanted to raise his kids in peace, with respect for the American ideals he grew up with. He wanted to see the world on the level, not through the blink-deprived eyes of the mob or the nagging leftist pleas of the Baez or the bratty image crafted of him by the big bugs of the press. Bob was afraid. Quote, Goons were breaking into our place all hours of the night. Rogue radicals looking for the prince of protest began to arrive. Unaccountable-looking characters, gargoyle-looking gals, scarecrows, stragglers looking to party, raid the pantry. The chief of police told me that if anyone was shot accidentally or even shot as a warning, it would be me that would be going to the lockup. Not only that, but creeps thumping their boots across our roof could even take me to court if any of them fell off. This was so unsettling. I wanted to set fire to these people. These gate crashers, spooks, trespassers, demagogues were all disrupting my home life, and the fact that I was not to piss them off or they could press charges really didn't appeal to me. Each day and night was fraught with difficulties. Everything was wrong. The world was absurd. It was backing me into a corner. Even persons near and dear offered no relief. End quote. You find yourself on a cross, nailed. There's only one way to escape. But Zimmy was no Houdinsky. It's no easy trick to disappear. He tried moving to Woodstock, that didn't help. He tried moving back to New York, that didn't help. For Bob Dylan to disappear, he would have to record bad music. Music that sounded nothing like him or his generation or anything at all. He released... Nashville Skyline, a pure country album in the voice of Mr. Mackey from South Park. He released a double album of splattered paint and spitballs and called it Self-Portrait. He got pictured Zionistically at the wall in Jerusalem. A game of reputation whack-a-mole was underway. Down in the basement, he was having fun with real music, making those haunting records that would be called the basement tapes, but on the street... It was all signal jamming and static. Act one of the Bob Dylan show had been a quest for connections to voice and amplify the new realities he alone could see. The quest climaxed in having the ears of the world, but that wasn't enough. He wanted to have his privacy, too. He crashed and burned and left the public to gawk at a silhouette, the shape of a question mark. That question mark would grow iron bars over time and serve as a security system for the rest of Bob's life. Act 2 was going to be about coming back. And just like Act 1, it was going to run about 25 years. It's 1971, and Bob Dylan is ready to plug back in. Wouldn't be simple. He needed to revamp his sound. By this time... He had plenty of connections. He picked up the phone, and he called Leon Russell. Hello,
1: little friend, I feel so good. The
0: the Leon Russell, the pianist laureate of rock and roll. A honky-tonk Santa Claus in the filthy Armenian universe. Maybe you've never heard of him, but you've certainly heard songs that he wrote. And there's almost no way you haven't heard his piano. There was a time when Elton John was his opening act. Leon Russell penned banger after banger and performed them all with hair on fire. But only their covers somehow became hits. This masquerade was a bonanza for George Benson, Delta Lady for Joe Cocker, Hummingbird for BB King with Leon on piano. A song for you made big bucks for the Carpenters, Ray Charles, and many others. Leon Russell was incapable of writing a dull song. Magic Mirror, Pisces Apple Lady. Manhattan Island Serenade, Stranger in a Strange Land, Dixie Lullaby, the typical Leon Russell song as he performs it, sounds like a New Orleans parade struck by lightning. He was the one true successor to his major influence, Little Richard. Yet only one of his own recordings became a hit, and it's the quirky carnival anthem, Tightrope. I'm up on the tight
1: wire One side's ice and one is fire. It's a circus game with you and me. I'm up on a tightrope. One side's hate and one is hope. But the top hat on my head is all you see. And the wire seems to be the only place for me comedy of errors and I'm falling Like a rubber around You look into my path Well, maybe you're just too blind to
0: see Leon Russell co-founded his own label in 1969 with Danny Cornell. It was called Shelter Records. They released Bob Marley's first single in America. They signed and produced a bunch of great artists, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, fellow Tulsa Titan J.J. Kale, the great bluesman Freddie King, who had retired to a fishing boat. Leon reeled him in to Shelter and gave him some great material, banging the piano on all the records they made together. Shelter Records cut their Los Angeles recordings in a studio in Van Nuys called Sound City, where Bob Dylan would record the entirety of rough and rowdy ways, But in 1971, they met up in New York. Bob wanted Leon to produce him something new. When I Paint My Masterpiece came out of that session, and so did Watching the River Flow. Both feature Leon Russell on the piano. According to Leon, once they formed the instrumental track, Bob sat down and wrote the lyrics to each song in minutes. He adjusted the lyrics on the fly against the wall as they fidgeted with rhythm and beat. Fast forward 50 years, and one of the players in the studio remembers that spectacle of creation as a highlight of his career. Fast forward 50 years, and ask me if there is one song in the entire Bob Dylan catalog that bottles up the mood of our post-plague eternal intermission, and I would tell you watching the river flow. That's why I played it to open my episode with Griel Marcus. So maybe it's a good thing I was late getting into the Pantages that night, because of all the thousand and one songs Bob could have chosen to open his show, I discover from looking at the set list that he chose.
2: disappearing everywhere you
3: look Never stop and wonder why only yesterday I seen somebody to say to you cry this old river keep a rolling low where it stopped and when, when I blow I'll sit right here
2: and watch the river
0: out, he's been opening nearly every show on this tour with that song. Naturally, with another adjustment to the lyrics, now the people fighting everywhere you look are disappearing everywhere you look. And just the other day, I saw someone who said goodbye. Check out Shadow Kingdom, the pandemic noir concert film he shot in 2021, to hear the entirely different way he plays the song these days. The second song he played that night at the Pantages, and plays every night on this tour, comes from Blonde on Blonde. It's one of those tragic breakup songs without which no folk singer can exist. There is more protest in a love song than in any protest song. And if you're a rebel folk singer, the protest is double because you're not about to let the tragedy win.
4: You say you love me you me but... No, you could be wrong You say you told me that you Wanna hold me, but you know you're not there of the
3: He's gonna call on you But he's badly built And he walks on stilts Watch out, he don't fall on you
0: You, you say, you're, say sorry you're sorry For telling me stories, me stories that, that you know, know I, believe I believe are true Say <laughs> so you got say some
3: that's other, other Kind of, kind of lover, lover. <laughs> yes, yes, I believe I you do. say see my, my kisses are not I'm, I'm not gonna, gonna tell you this time what it is. I'm,
0: just, I'm gonna just gonna let, let you pass. pass.
3: Yes, and I'll go And
0: then, and then time, time will tell, just who and has fell and who and and who's was, was Where You go you, you way, I,
2: I go mine.
0: Most likely, in parentheses, most likely, you go your way and I go mine. Blonde on Blonde, 1966. Perfect breakup for now song. Perfect disappearance song. Perfect, perhaps, Civil War song. Welcome back. Pantages Theatre on Hollywood Boulevard for Bob Dylan's Rough and Rowdy Ways. When we last left Bob, in Volume 1, he was about to tell us all about the creative process. But first, let us take a moment for a little landmark acknowledgement. Let us pay homage to the landmark we are sitting in, and the rough and rowdy ways through which it was built. The Hollywood Pantages Theatre. Grandiose, art deco, vaudeville, movie palace hybrid. Designed by B. Marcus Petreca. Opened June 4, 1930. Crown jewel of the stage empire of a stubby little immigrant who called himself the King Greek. He was born Pericles Alexandros Padesus. He lived and he died as Alexander Pantages. Once upon a time in America... You didn't need royal blood to build a palace. You could be a boy who ran away from home on a small Greek island at the age of nine, played deckhand at sea for a couple years, hopped off to dig the Panama Canal, tried your hand at boxing in San Francisco, followed the Yukon gold rush up the Dawson City, Canada, where you work as a waiter at the Opera House until they make you manager and you start presenting shows with your very own stock company. When the Dawson City Opera House burned down in 1900, Pantages built his very first theater in just two weeks. It was called the Orpheum Theater. It had electrical lighting, which was huge, and from the very opening night, it was Biggly. Within two months, Pantages would add a film projector, making motion pictures a regular part of his vaudeville review. By 1920, Pantages Theaters dominated the market west of the Mississippi with up to 84 combo houses in his domain. Every live tour would begin in Winnipeg and make its way around the circuit. A true impresario, a rugged individualist, never a mob guy. He hated the idea of trusting talent agents in New York. He preferred to audition and select his performers himself. By the end of the Roaring Twenties, his hybrid theater model faced peril. A certain piece of technology had emerged that would combine the jibber-jabber of vaudeville with the larger-than-life spectacle of the moving picture. That piece of technology was owned by RCA, which had established a film production company called Radio Pictures with a certain famous East Coast tycoon at its helm. Back then, production companies owned their own theaters, so Radio Pictures needed to buy some houses to properly exhibit their talky films. Quietly, chunk by chunk, they began to acquire. Before anyone noticed, they gained complete control of the biggest theater chain in the Eastern Market, and thus became RKO, Radio Keith Orpheum Pictures. So they turned their sights west, and they looked down straight into the eyes of the five-foot, six-inch Greek impresario who stood in their way. RKO made Pantagious an offer. Here's all this money, and in exchange, we get your entire chain of theaters. Now, this was less a business proposal than a showdown. The sinister Harvard tycoon at the helm of RKO seldom made an offer... That could be refused. But Pantages refused. And shortly after the refusal, a pretty woman enters the picture. Eunice Irene Pringle is here to see you, Mr. Pantages. She's pretty. She's 17. And her name, if you can fucking believe it, is Eunice Irene Pringle. What she want? She wants to audition as a dancer for next season. Show her in! A few weeks later, Wall Street will collapse. The Roaring Twenties will crash into the putt-putt New Deal 30s. And the LAPD will show up to arrest Alexander Pantagius for the rape of Eunice Irene, Pringle. And so began, possibly the first Hollywood Me Too trial. The press went bananas, and the press was controlled by William Randolph Hearst, and Citizen Hearst was a very close friend of the East Coast tycoon who made that offer from R.K. Hill Pictures. The L.A. Examiner, a Hearst paper, Smeared every inch of Pantages with all the ink in its arsenal. And some feathers, too. Painted him as a dirty, foreign, cold-hearted, heavy-accented villain, preying upon wholesome, innocent American girlhood. Eunice Irene Pringle. The paper called her, The Sweetest Seventeen Since Clara Bow. Clara Bow was a silent film star who presumably drove men mad with the desire to build her a white picket fence the media crusade succeeded. Pantagus was convicted and sentenced to 50 years. He appealed, and in a second trial in 1931, he was acquitted of the crime by the California Supreme Court. But it was too late. Legal fees had stuck a fork in him. He was forced to sell his theaters to RKO at pennies on their original offer. In 1936, he would die only $5,000 richer than the day he had arrived to the United States. His last recorded words were something to the effect that he was ready for a comeback. But wait, why did he get acquitted, you ask? He got acquitted because a story emerged that was allowed in court. A story most relevant historians accept as true, because it reportedly came from the guilt-ridden lips of Eunice Pringle herself. Apparently, the scheming Harvard tycoon at the helm of RKO offered the young dancer $10,000 cash to frame Alexander Pantagius for rape. Business is business, and it was business as usual for the Harvard Yankee mastermind behind the whole scheme. A man by the name of Joseph Kennedy. Hide that name somewhere safe, because I have a feeling that later in the show, we will find our rough and rowdy way back to it. Alexander Pantages. Pioneer in the business of show, portrayed as George Apollinaris in Busby Berkeley's pre-code musical masterpiece, Footlight Parade. Grandfather of actor and writer John Considine, and 1950s TV star Tim Considine, the number one childhood heartthrob of my good friend Stephen Cox, the filthy professor. So Pantages lost Pantages. And RKO turned the theater into a full-time talkie movie house. In 49, Howard Hughes bought the joint and it hosted the Academy Awards for the next 10 years. In 77, it returned to being a full-time live theater. Hosted all the big Broadway shows that came to town. The Lion Kings, the Hamiltons, the Books of Mormon. Also, concerts, film shoots. Michael Jackson used it for his video of You Are Not Alone. Shakira did her first American concert there, four years before she crossed over to English. The theater was supposed to be 12 stories high, but the crash of 29 halted construction at two, and the Great Recession of 2007, covered in Volume 1, messed up a plan to complete the original design. Is it haunted? Is the Pantages haunted? Old theaters and hotels in L.A. are often said to be haunted. I mean... If anyone has a right to haunt any building in LA, it's gotta be Pantages and the Pantages. If anyone had the right to screw chorus girls for eternity, it would be Alexander Pantages. But I'm not aware of any such rumors. And I'm not surprised. Pantages doesn't strike me as the type of spirit who would waste his time moping around being ghostly. He's an action man, a showman. He's not some haunter. Haunting is for Yankees. Haunting is for Harvard. You know what he probably said of the despicable manner in which he was screwed? Cost of doing business, he probably said. That's how guys like him operate. Besides, there is one far from predicted magical quality to his theater, which none of the other old historic theaters of Los Angeles can claim. What could be more vindicating of the spirit of its Greek American founder than the fact that the Pantages Theater, now 93 years old, has never, ever, not for an hour, not for a day, ever to this moment, gone out of business.
5: He's shaking like he's got a chill. I know what it takes to cure him of the shakes.
0: Oh, ah, what he wants is
4: Shanghai Lil. Oh, she's a fascinating heathen.
1: But say, she ain't been through the mill.
4: Since you met that gob, she's acting like a snob.
5: Say, who the heck is Shanghai Lil? That tiny devil. Oh, she's on the level.
1: She can't hurt you and me. That oriental
4: dame is detrimental to our industry. You
3: said it. I offered her ass in London. And I assured her interview. She
5: said she won't be mine for all of Palestine. They all go for Shanghai Bill.
0: My Own Connection. To the Pantages Theater is related to its name. Do not sleep on that name. Pantages might have been the best thing Pantages ever came up with. Try to imagine a more perfect name for a theater or a theater impresario. What's in a name? A rose named Papadusbus Octopusbus does not smell just as sweet. That was a rare miss by Billy Shake Shapiro. Everything's in a name. The name's the thing. What is the entire field of psychology but the art of naming? This man created a name that would guarantee his immortality in a field as crowded as Hollywood Boulevard, where above all the stars, one name to this day does continuously rise in deathless neon. Pantagious. All the stages. Or, as my grandfather once said, Pantages. And that is my connection to the Pantages Theater, Pantages. My grandfather pronouncing it Pantages, causing fits of hysterical laughter in the back seat from my mom and uncle, little kids fresh off the boat. Man turns the world upside down so you can grow up in a free country instead of bullshit communism, and you laugh at how he pronounces a Greek's fake name. My grandfather coined a number of FOB bangers. For example, penny puncher. Also, jealosity. I'm especially fond of that one because it captures the slamming force of jealousy more than the correct word. We never figured out if le-gentlemanly was an elegant flourish on gentlemanly or an improvement on legitimate. But one time, he was spelling something out on the phone and said... K as in cucumber. My grandfather had a lot in common with Mr. Pantages. Both were independent and out of school by age nine. Both wheeled and dealed their way to a better life in the new world. Both tried their hands at boxing. Pantages chased a gold rush to the Wild West, ended up striking show business, and my grandfather generated a gold rush in the very downtown of show business. Right next door, in fact, to the original pre-Hollywood Pantages Theatre in L.A. Pour one out for Adam Kulean, gambler, backgammon champion, pioneer of the downtown L.A. jewelry district. Graduate with dropout honors from the school of rough and rowdy ways. A mighty spirit like gorgeous George, afraid of no one, afraid of nothing, except perhaps... The final curtain. But we are far from the final curtain on Hollywood Boulevard. In fact, last we saw him, Bob was on the verge of telling us a thing or two about the thing that curtains rise for. The thing they hang for. The thing that keeps them up at night. Up, up and out of the way. Some kind of wind is responsible. It arrives just like that, out of nowhere in particular, the way Bob and his band just sort of appear now, out of the darkness at the start of the show, settle on their instruments. It visits only those who are properly tuned, who've done their sound checks, who know what they want. But it leaves them too. It likes to collaborate with budding flowers, but it gets bored of those in full bloom. Fickle wind. Idiot wind. And what happens when that idiot wind, which blew so much magic your way, which you got so accustomed to working with, what happens when it goes still? Where do you go when the muse stops blowing? When she claims headache night after night? When you realize talent's a tenant and your rent might be too high?
4: You ever look at music that you've written and look back at it and say, whoa, that surprised me.
6: I used to. Uh, I I don't do that anymore. Uh, I don't know how I got to to write those songs. What do you mean you don't know how? Well, those early songs were like almost magically written. Um, uh, Darkness at the break of noon, shadows even the silver spoon, a handmade blade, a child's balloon.
4: Eclipses both the sun and moon to understand you know too soon there is no sense in trying. This Dylan classic, It's All Right, Ma, was written in
6: 1964.
4: The hollow horn plays wasted words, proves to warn that he not busy being born is busy dying.
6: Well, try to sit down and write something like that. Uh, the, there's a magic to that. And it's not uh, Siegfried and Roy kind of magic. You know, it's a, it's a different kind of a penetrating magic. And, uh, you know, I did it. I, I, I did it at one time. You don't think you can do it today?
3: Boy, that's what i won't do. I'm gonna creep down over you. But I must be the winner of my discontent. I wish you'd taken me or with you wherever you went. They talk all night and they talk all day. Not for a second, but believe a word that they say. The
0: year is 1987. America is a very different place. Very, very different place, at least mentally, than what it was in the 1960s. No more mud, no more grass, no more hard rain on the horizon. A lot of white snow, though. Pure white snow and neon. These aren't the colors you pierced through when your visions became a sensation, when your lines made you famous. They're not the colors you tried so aggressively to disappear from. There's a whole different light show happening in the world now. Different smoke, different mirrors, different lampshades, and different bulbs. Some are content to be appreciated for the testimonies of their youth, but not you. You're too serious for all that, And you're not done testifying, but your testimonies as a mature man, a man neither young playing old nor old playing young, have not landed effectively in quite some time. A jab here. A hook there. Moments of glory drowned in Don King theatrics. A few singles too single to marry into albums. You made the public jump by going Christ, but they didn't exactly jump for joy. That's okay point was to make them jump, but the bigger problem is that you weren't born again yesterday. Your gospel rocked the house, probably the only music that managed in moments to be real Christian rock instead of the fake tinsel stuff, but musically and otherwise, it hit the wall. That kind of certainty never lasts in an honest man. Your faith hit the wall. Blind Willie McTell Maybe your best song of the entire decade is about your faith hitting the wall. That's a song that leaves no stone unturned in its review of man's inhumanity to man. That's a lamentation laid bare, so bare you left it off the album called Infidels. I've
4: seen the arrow on the dark Saying this land is condemned all the way from New Orleans to Jerusalem Well I traveled through East Texas where many martyrs fell and I know no one can sing the blues like blind Willie McTell.
0: But it's a rare McTell and a lot of walls. You are notorious for constantly seeking in your style of play, for being musically restless, forcing your band members to be on their toes and follow you, no huddle, up-tempo. But what's there left to seek? Where do you look from here? Where do you go from suddenly knowing God is real to knowing that knowing is not enough? In Chronicles, you tell a story that continues to beguile even your most ardent followers and... Band members. You talk about hitting the wall. There's a tour coming up. You're rehearsing some shows with the Grateful Dead, and you're all out of gratitude. You're hoping to get through half a year of shows, cash in, and call it quits. Hang it up. Hit the hammock. Retire. Sayonara. You've cobbled together 15-20 songs you think you can handle. Any requests for wilder stuff beyond the hash marks are brushed off with some lame excuse. You can't even get through those songs, though. You can't even get through this rehearsal. You make an excuse and you scram. You say you left something back at the hotel. It's a lie. You walk right past the hotel. You walk. You have no intention of going back. It's time to face the music. You're done. You're finished this is it. And it had been a long time coming. Ain't singing, just walking. You've had a good run. You're even halfway at peace. You can picture Freddie King's fishing boat, the bobber, beckons. Nobody can say you didn't leave it all out on the stage with 10,000 people watching. Problem was maybe you left too much. You left all of yourself and any other self you could think of. If you walked out of the self-business now, who could blame you? Enough was enough. It's drizzling. You walk. You walk the streets of San Rafael as you've walked a hundred thousand streets before at night when nobody's watching. But then... But then you hear a sound coming from a little jazz club up the street. Hardly anyone inside. Plenty of cigarette smoke And it says, come in. There's a little combo band on stage and a singer. And about as many people in the crowd. You take a seat in front of the stage. It's about to start raining outdoors. What
3: is that a ride? What is that a say? The same things happen every day. Not a thing to write, not a thing to say, so I take my pen and hand and start the same old way.
0: The singer is an older dude, wears a hat, shiny necktie. He's singing some standard like Once Upon a Time, or maybe P.S. I Love You. Something about his voice makes you lean in. It's like a Bloody Mary after a really bad night. Bloody Mary doesn't wow you with magic or fireworks. It's a hangover cure with all natural ingredients shrewdly mixed. This man is not leaving himself out on that stage. All his power is coming from somewhere else, a natural source unhampered by mood. As you describe it in the book, this rando jazz singer at the tiny smoke-filled club in San Rafael you randomly walked into after walking out on your career delivers to you the secret of how you can sing again.
3: I'll take the sky face, but you know, and the Godfather Rando, Mix it up in a tank and get a robot commando If I do it upright and put the head out straight I'll be saved by the creature that I create I'll get blood from a cactus, gunpowder from ice I don't gamble with cards and I don't shoot no dice Can you look at my face with your sightless eye? Can you cross your heart and hope to die? I'll bring someone to life, someone for real
0: Someone who feels the way that I feel So you find your voice again After all voice was lost Find it by way of a stranger in the night Who did not even know he was the messenger But that's not all there is to the story The jazz singer's message, the vocal technique he enlightened you with Might have fallen on deaf ears Had you not been grappling with another revelation at the same time this one related to the chords.
3: I study Sanskrit and Arabic
0: to improve
3: my mind. I want to do things for the benefit of all mankind. I say to the willow tree, don't weep for me. I'm saying the hell to all things that I used to be. Well, I get into trouble, then I hit the wall. No place to turn, no place at all I pick a number between a one and two And I ask myself, what would Julius Caesar do? I will bring someone to life, more ways than one Don't matter how long it takes, it'll be done when it's done
0: In the early 1960s, an old blues man taught you a lesson Lonnie Johnson, a man Robert Johnson had learned from, took you aside and showed you a somewhat unusual style of play that you didn't need at the time, but that you might need someday. You felt anointed, but you put the memory in mothballs. Until 25 years later, it flew out of the closet with the force of revelation, like a desperate gambler suddenly finding a system to beat the house. Except you're not trying to beat the house. You don't gamble with cards, and you don't shoot no dice. You're trying to become the house, so you can play forever without going bust. Popular music you write is usually based on the number two, and then filled in with fabrics, colors, effects, and technical wizardry to make a point. But the total effect is usually depressing and oppressive, and a dead end which at the most can only last in a nostalgic way. But Lonnie's system shifts the odds. In Lonnie's system, things that strengthen the performance automatically begin to happen and make it memorable for the ages, and you don't have to plan or think ahead. The possibilities are endless, and you're not depending on improvisation. You can manufacture faith out of nothing, and there are an infinite number of patterns and lines that connect from key to key. All deceptively simple. You gain power with the least amount of effort, trust that the listeners make their own connections, and it's very seldom that they don't. Miscalculations can also cause no serious harm, as long as you recognize it, you can turn the dynamic around architecturally in a second. End quote. And this system, which catapults you out of a miserable, faltering act two, is based entirely on the number three.
3: You're still gonna meet. I'll beat the black horse, tagging on, up against the street. Two dollars down, i have pop one walk, I'll hear your footsteps, you're not even have knock. the will is a song Balance the scales. I go get bald in any insignificant details.
0: I don't know why the number three is more metaphysically powerful than the number two, but it is. With a new incantation code to infuse my vocals with manifest presence, I could rise high, unconsciously drag endless skeletons from the closet, thematic triplets making everything hypnotic. I could even hypnotize myself. I could do this night after night. No fatigue or weariness. I had all the technical theory I would need. My audience would stop being a shady army of faceless people. Of course. Some of them would still only concentrate on the lyrics and they might be dismayed because the two beat strum they'd been used to for so long would now be off rhythm refocused and rushing the songs into the heart of unimagined territory. But that's okay they could handle it.
3: You can bring it to St. Peter. You can bring it to your room, You move it on over. Bring it all the way home. Bring it to the corner where the children play. You can bring it be
2: on a silver tray, spend no expense, do it with decency and common sense.
0: So is Bob being literal? In Chronicles, Volume 1, about the voice revelation, the number three revelation, the jazz angel, the blues angel, is he spinning a yarn, or is he telling it like it really happened? Nobody ever 100% believes the Bob who cried Dylan, because they're gluttons for facts, 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 while well, he's a type not to get involved in any insignificant details. But if you pass over these remarkable opening pages to the Oh Mercy section of his memoir and you think you've learned nothing, you're only fooling yourself. Figuratively speaking, I think he means every word literally. He gets really revved up trying to describe that number three system. And if you're conscious at all of his roller coaster live performances since that time, it does explain everything even if you have no idea what he's talking about musicologically, which I don't, if you enjoy or pay attention to his live stuff, the spirit of exploring some new mystery is there in every song. Sometimes the exploration sputters or gets caught in a storm, but then sometimes it's absolutely electric, and you can tell that everyone from the band to the singer to the audience is in some new world.
3: Tell me what it means be to be. You'll get away with fooling me. Can you help me walk that all mile? Can you give me the blessings of your smile? Bring a song of love. Use all my powers.
0: But in the end, it doesn't matter how literal it is. When a story turns parable, its literalosity doesn't matter. Its literalness does not matter. It's kind of the way mortality itself no longer matters when a story takes hold. The parable of 1987 is of a man's faith hitting a wall, then breaking that wall down, and finding its way back through the man. A parable of faith we discovered, not at the top of one's lungs or in the pit of his Baptist, but in the very fundamentals of his calling. The laws, the restless patterns, the numerical mysteries of the musical dimension, in which certain men for certain reasons are called to go assailing.
5: I can see the history the whole human race. It's all right there. It's carved into your face. Should I break it all down? Should I fall on my knees? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Can you tell me, please? Stand over there by the cypress tree where the Trojan women and children were sold into slavery long before the First Crusade way back before england or america were made step right into the burning hell where some of the best known enemies of mankind dwell mr freud with his dreams mr marx with his axe see the rawhide lash rip the skin from their backs got the right spirit you can feel it you can hear it you've got what they call the immortal spirit You can feel it all night, you can feel it in the morn. Creeps in your body the day you were born. One strike of lightning is all that I need. And a blast of electricity that runs at top speed. Shimmy your ribs, I'll stick in the knife. Gonna jumpstart my creation to laugh. i want to bring someone to life.
0: Turn back the years. Do it with laughter and do it with tears. This is Bob Dylan's working song, his workshop song. A what's he building in there type of song. This ain't a genius anthem, it's a studio anthem. You could say it's an anthem of Hollywood Boulevard and its favorite structure. It rejoices in the labor of creation where crossing wires is a virtue, where no medicine's unmixed, where it's jab and be jabbed all night long. In this lab, history is carved on faces, and those faces are always on the operating table. Avatars are pushed into hell, where they can see that Freud and Marx are the enemies of mankind, fit to be bullwhipped. Their master is a mad scientist kind of guy. Seems crazy but knows his stuff, has a system, not like the one Dostoevsky thought would make him rich at roulette. This guy no longer cares about beating the odds, he'd rather collaborate with the odds to beat the evens. Every side against the middle. My own version of you, rough and rowdy ways, feels like the type of song you can sing forever without repeating any lyrics. I saw him perform it again in Brooklyn the other week. And I can report that in the course of this tour, the song has become a symphony. It's lyrics, a kind of opera. With this song, the Brooklynites finally shut the fuck up and start listening to the wizard at the piano.
2: You got the right spirit. You can feel it, you can hear it.
3: You got what they call an immortal spirit. You can feel it in the morn, hear it in the morn. It creeps in your body the day you were born. White speck of lightning is all I need. And a blast of electricity then show me your ribs I stick in the knife I don't jump start I raise the knife I bring the of the life. but I the laughter
0: number three. Bob Dylan crossed the Rubicon and began his never-ending tour. But the Rubicon, if you haven't heard, is one tricky river. A tricky, tricky red river. It's easy to say cross the Rubicon. Hell, it's even a very fucked out cliche. But have you actually tried crossing the fucking Rubicon?
3: I to the kiss
0: the the When Caesar crossed the Rubicon, or when John Wayne and Clift crossed the Red River in Howard Hawkes's versions of history, that just meant the beginning of the Civil War. Thanks to the power of cliché, that entire civil war has now been crammed into the act of crossing the Rubicon. As if our destiny is all worked out for us, everything predetermined except for one thing, our decision to choose it. How long Choose that destiny suddenly we are free free at last funny how that works so Bob renews his vows to the master of music and it sets him free freer even than he knows because this transformation was only about performing he had long stopped caring about writing new songs had enough songs to last a lifetime. He had nothing left to prove in that department. Songs had always been a means to perform, and besides, the idea of going into a studio and dealing with all that bullshit was very far from fun. He probably also had a middle-aged nausea about the notion that while his best and most liberated playing days might be ahead of him now, his best songwriting days were still very much behind him. He had no delusions about that. It's hard to go on orphic missions to chase down the power of an idea when there's no Eurydice waiting at the end of hell.
3: I would feel the bones beneath my skin.
0: there's a setback on the Rubicon, a freak accident that wounds him, mangles his hand, imperils all his plans to tour again with his new system. As he recoups, wondering if the feeling in his nerves will ever return, his good hand, suddenly, one night, after a night on the town in Santa Monica, shivers with a song. And then the next morning... Pistol Pete Merovich dies, and it shivers with another song. And next thing Bob knows, he's recording a new album with producer Daniel Lenoir in New Orleans, the very place where he once saw the basketball magician Pete Meravich score 38 points for what was then called the New Orleans Jazz. a great album. Archaic in Bob's word. Lot of people annoyed that in his memoir Bob gives us to play-by-play on that album instead of one of the great albums. But if you're gonna dissect a frog, it's probably wise to pick a frog that has no chance of becoming a prince. A frog with all the organs but none of the magic. I like some of the songs. What Was It You Wanted? That's a keeper. But listen to the version on the Shadow Kingdom album. Still, some people heard the notes of a comeback in Oh Mercy. Some people people heard the notes of comeback in Oh Mercy. Through all the bells and whistles of Lenoir's production, people heard a beating heart. The heart of a songwriter pumping blood into forgotten veins. Quote, Pistol Pete hadn't played professionally in a while, and he was thought of as forgotten, Bob writes. I hadn't forgotten him, though. Some people seem to fade away, but then when they are truly gone, it's like they didn't fade away at all. I started and completed the song Dignity the same day I'd heard the news about Pistol Pete. It's like I saw the song up in front of me and overtook it like i saw all the characters in this song and elected to cast my fortunes with them It's not wrong to say empathy when speaking of Bob's vocation. It's not wrong to use that tyrannical word. A folk musician must not only walk in other people's shoes, he must dance in other people's shoes, he must kick asses in other people's shoes, and he must eat his feet in other people's shoes. And for this, we call him a phony a phony, because he is not the main character of every song he writes, because his voice is not his alone, but a little bit of everyone's. His voice is a secret collaboration. But no, that's fake. It's a phony. That's phony. Meanwhile, our appetite for empathy from politicians knows no bounds. Even Joe Rogan wants them to show empathy. No standing naked. We are such a smart fucking society. Empathy is the favorite mask of our sadistic tormentors of today, but that doesn't change the fact that it's real and that it can be practiced between two souls, communing on the right frequency, that it can be realized in art. It's almost like the empathy witches don't want you to know where to find the real thing. Maybe that's why they insist on Representation in art, maybe that's why they'd rather destroy art altogether, as well as friendship and love, out of jealousy. But even in those heavenly domains where empathy is possible, striving doesn't make it real or true. You can walk in someone's shoes for a mile, but who's to say you feel what they feel? Who's to say you're walking with their toothache in your heel?
3: I can feel the holy See the light that freedom gives I believe it's within my reach Oh, that man was there
0: the way to achieve empathy and bring someone to life someone you've never seen is not just to try and feel the way that they feel but to make them feel the way that you feel to mingle your fate with theirs gather their jigsaw pieces and your jigsaw pieces and scramble them together force fit them if you must Be their enemy if you have to be. Be their prince or wife. Shack up in their house with its historically thin walls. Rub the dice together till the numbers change. Then pick a number between a 1 and 2 and ask, what would Julius Caesar do? Because maybe Jesus wants to know too. It took ten years for Bob to cross the Rubicon, reclaim his dominion over the shadow kingdom he had ruled in the 60s. He had to go back to the drawing board. He had to forget any concerns about sounding archaic and go all the way back, back to the folk ballads, back to the blues, back to the music that formed miracle unions that no war of northern aggression ever could. He had to retrieve, rethink, reimagine, and stitch it all together with his middle-aged self, until he burst back through with time out of mind, where he is front and center in every song, also left and right and just offstage, scattered all over a certain land, footprints over every frozen Rubicon, doing for death. What David Lynch did for coffee Rasping melodies so Sick and so plain they can Hold all the dear ladies from going Insane ease us And cool us and cease the pain Of our useless and Pointless knowledge
6: Why do you still do it why are you Still out here well it goes back To the destiny thing I, mean, I made a bargain with it You know a long time ago And I'm Holding up my hand. What was your bargain? To get where um, I am now. Should I ask who you made the bargain with? <laughs> with, 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 you know, with the chief, uh, chief commander.
0: Quote, Sometimes you say things in songs even if there's a small chance of them being true. And sometimes you say things that have nothing to do with the truth of what you want to say. And sometimes you say things that everyone knows to be true. Then again, at the same time, you're thinking that the only truth on earth is that there is no truth in it. Whatever you are saying, you're saying in a rickety-tick way. There's never time to reflect. You stitched and pressed and packed and drove, is what you did. You crossed the Rubicon, and on Hollywood Boulevard, you ended up in Key West. Key West. way down in Key West, the southernmost point of the United States, the flat magic island where the limes are sweet, where Tennessee and Truman came to meet, where the coach they called the Pirates spent the off-seasons drawing up plays, where Robert the Doll got a letter from President Bush, where the cleaning ladies are hurricanes and phantoms of history shimmer toward the horizon line, and the life of a nation can flash before your eyes. Key West, philosopher, pirate, the keynote address of rough and rowdy ways. All the best songs in Dylan's never-ending period are either Red Room Blues, eternity ballads, or infinite serenades like this one, and this is a White Lodge version. A dream in a place of reality where some climax appears to be looming, some kind of sun appears to be setting, but it never does. It never gets dark, even as another assassination makes an ass out of you and your nation.
3: McKinley Small Dr. Her death is on the wall Say it to me Have you got something to
2: confess?
3: I heard all about it. He was going down slow I heard it all the wireless radio from down in the blue docks, way down in Key I'm searching for love, for inspiration. On that pirate radio station, coming out of Luxembourg and Budapest. Radio signal, clear as can be I'm so deep in love That I can hardly see Down in the flatlands Way down in Key West Key West is the place to be If you're looking for immortality Stay on the road Follow the high woods. Key West is fine and fair. If you lost your mind, you'll find it there. Key West is on the horizon. line
0: Back to Greel Marcus. Key West philosopher pirate begins with a chord so light and golden, a reverberation of the spirit that you're all but suspended in its glow. You don't want the song to move on from that moment, and it barely seems to. When the singer comes in 16 seconds later, the balance between tone and pacing is so elegant. The assassination from 120 years ago seems present, the event unfinished, a moment in history that is not resolved that we're still living out.
3: I was born on the wrong side of the railroad track Like Ginsburg, Corso, and Calwai Like Louie, and Jimmy, and Buddy, and all of the rest Well, it might not be the thing to do But I'm sticking with you through and through, down in the flat land, way down in the key west. I got both my feet landed square on the ground, got my right hand high, with the thumb down, such as life. Such is a happiness Hibiscus flowers They grow everywhere here If you're one, Put it behind your ear Down on the bottom Way down in Key West Key West is the place to go down by the Gulf of Mexico, beyond the sea, beyond the shifting sand. Key West is the gateway key to innocence and purity. Key West, Key West is the enchanted land.
0: The song, the arrangement, the performance seems to hover over itself. Moving slowly over its more than nine and a half minutes towards a receding utopia. This Key West has no Hemingway in drinking in sloppy Joes, no Santo Traficante bringing in heroin, no Cuban exiles plotting their 90 mile trip back. This is the territory of the most luminous and least obvious songs Dylan has made this century. Sugar Baby from 2001, Ain't Talkin' from 2006, Forgetful Heart from 2009, P.S. I Love You, not the Beatles song but the 1934 Rudy Valley hit in 2017. An accordion lifts the music again and again. You could be listening to one of David Lynch and Angelo Badalamenti's songs for Julie Cruz, how in falling and questions in a world of blue, notes are held up to a distant light in a dark nightclub, the singer listening for the echo of her own voice. Here, whatever story is being told, whatever old friends and heroes are named, slip away into the moral rhythm of the song. The way it seems to unfold and fold back, unfold and fold back, until the way the singer casually or with a resignation so complete it brings its own satisfaction. Let's such is life hang in the air of the song. In the most distant manner the moment swings. You might not even have to notice it for it to stay with you, the words such is life playing in your head for no reason with no apparent source years later not the words at all really but the mystery and the way they're sung key west is the place to go down by the gulf of mexico beyond the sea beyond the shifting sand key west is the gateway key to innocence and purity key west is the enchanted land I've never lived in the land of Oz or wasted my time with an unworthy cause. It's hot down here, and you can't be overdressed. China blossoms of a toxic plant. They can make you dizzy. I'd like to help you, but I can't. Down in the flatlands, way down in Key West. Though the fishtail ponds and the orchid trees they can give you that bleeding heart disease. People tell me I ought to try a little tenderness. On Newton Street, Bayview Park, walking in the shadows after dark. Down under, way down in Key West. I played gumbo limbo spirituals. I know all the Hindu rituals. People tell me that I'm truly blessed. Bougainvillea blooming in the summer, in the spring. Winter here is an unknown thing, down in the flatlands, way down in Key West. Key West is under the sun, under the radar, under the gun. You stay to the left, and then you lean to the right. Feel the sunlight on your skin and the healing virtues of the wind. Key West is the land of light. Wherever I travel, wherever I roam, I'm not that far before I come back home. I do what I think is right, what I think is best. History Street off of Mallory Square. Truman had his White House there eastbound, westbound, way down in Key West. Twelve years old, they put me in a suit, forced me to marry a prostitute. There were gold fringes on her wedding dress. That's my story, but it's not where it ends. She's still cute, and we're still friends. Town on the bottom, way down in I play both sides against the middle, trying to pick up that pirate radio signal. I heard the news, I heard your last request. Fly around my pretty little miss, I don't love nobody, give me a kiss. Down on the bottom, way down in Key West. Key West is the place to be if you're looking for immortality. more Key West is paradise divine. Key West is fine and fair. If you lost your mind, you'll find it there. Key West is on the horizon line. How could you not go to Key West if you're listening to that? On a loop around Hollywood Boulevard over and over throughout pandemic. Of course, I broke my pandemic fast in Key West. I went there on spring break 2021. A Ruskranian cranion of my carnal acquaintance drove me down there from Miami in his white Mustang convertible. And after a single night of Cold War sex, he drove back up and I remained. I floated through Key West for three days barely spoke a word to anyone such as life such as happiness after key west bob closes out the show with a quartet of prayer songs dedicated each to a different genre you may call him bobby or you may call him zimmy but you gotta serve somebody Mother of Muses, where he suggests George Patton cleared the path for Presley to sing, who carved the path for Martin Luther King. I've made up my mind to give myself to you from East L.A. to San Antone. Goodbye, Jimmy Reed, a final blues in honor of the straight-shooting, Bible-thumping bluesman who never pandered, never acted proud, never took off his shoes and threw them into the crowd, who couldn't sing a song he didn't understand. A cover of Melancholy Mood, one of the great American songbook Sinatra numbers Bob mysteriously spent the 2010s studying and absorbing into his repertoire. And finally in Hollywood, he closed the show with The Grateful Dead's Friend of the Devil, which I barely even recognized, so I'd rather jump cut and talk about his finale in New York, where carefully he recited his 1980s devotional song, Every grain of sand. Or at the very end, for the first time all night, before vanishing into the golden darkness, whence he arrived, freewheeling to that very city, sixty some years ago, he pulls out the talisman, the symbol, the instrument, the rod, the organ of his voice, for a first and final solo. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Zimmerman won't be around forever. But Bob Dylan will remain, at least as long as the invisible republic for which he stands. Which leaves us with one haunting question What's he doing up there? What is the meaning of this? This Apparently final mission he's on, high-powered at the age of 82. This tour, apparently his last, scheduled to end in 2024. In Volume 1, I made a case for Bob as ain't no false prophet. But when you're that kind of prophet and you're still at work, and your fate is merged with the fate of your nation, and you're the last link to so many of its traditions and its traditional people, the great store of its lore. And there's still one announced year left in your never-ending tour. This ain't just about you. So what's it about? There is a dog not barking on Hollywood Boulevard. There's a dog not barking in Brooklyn. There's a dog not barking on this entire tour so far. And the dog not barking is not barking from Dallas. One song from Rough and Rowdy Ways recorded in January 2020, is yet to be performed. The final song. The final prophecy. A last dance with the zeitgeist. And it's a murder must foul.
3: It was a dark day in Dallas. November sixty-three a day that will live on in infamy president kennedy was a right good day to be living and a good day to die Being led to the slaughter like a sacrificial lamb you say wait a minute boys you know who i am of course we do we know who you are We'll mock you and shock you, and we'll grin in your face. We've already got someone here to take your place. The day they blew out the brains of the king, thousands were watching, no one saw a thing. It happened so quickly, so quick by surprise. Right there in front of everyone's eyes. Greatest magic trick ever under the sun. Perfectly executed, skillfully done. Wolfman, oh wolfman, oh wolfman, ow. Rub-a-dub-dub,
0: it's a murder most foul. Murder Most Foul. A song not about the murder of JFK, son of Joseph, the Harvard tycoon who shanghaied the King Greek. Murder Most Foul is a song that takes place within that history-freezing event. A 17-minute adventure into the four seconds between the bullet hitting the brain and the president biting the dust. And there we are with Bob in the bleeding brain in the power limousine also in the man who shot him and in our last breath we call for a priest we say wolfman oh wolfman oh wolfman, oh wolfman how.
3: California, you baby, the Wolfman Jack Show. High up on a hill, man, towering over the West Coast. Come on and ride with me.
2: up. I can dig it. I can dig it. I can dig it. Dig
0: Wolfman Jack speaking in tongues. He's going on and on at the top of his lungs. Play me a song, Mr. Wolfman, Jack. Play it for me in my long Cadillac. Play me that only the good die young. Play. Take me to the place Tom Dooley was hung. Play St. James Infirmary in the court of King James. If you want to remember, you better write down the names. Play it a James, too. Play I'd Rather Go Blind. Play it for the man with the telepathic mind. Play John Lee Hooker. Play Scratch My Back. Play it for that strip club owner named Jack. Guitar Slim going down slow. Play it for me and for Marilyn Monroe. Play Please Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Play it for the first lady she ain't feeling any good. Play Don Henley. Play Glenn Frey. Take take it to the limit and let it go by. Play it for the Carl Worsum 2, looking far, far away at down Gallow Avenue. Play Tragedy. Play Twilight Time. Play Take Me Back to Tulsa to the Scene of the Crime. Play play another one. Another One Bites the Dust. Play the, the Old Rugged Cross and In God We Trust. Ride the pink horse down the long, lonesome road. Stand there and wait for his head to explode. Play Mystery Train for Mr. Mystery. The man who fell down dead like a rootless tree. Play it for the reverend. Play it for the pastor. Play it for the dog that got no master. Play Oscar Peterson. Play Stan Getz. Play Blue Sky. Play Dickie Betts. Play Arc Pepper. Thelonious Monk. Charlie Parker. All that junk. All that junk and all that jazz. Play something for the Birdman of Alcatraz. Oh, play Burster Keaton. Play Harold Lloyd. Play Bugsy Siegel. Play Pretty Boy Floyd. Play the numbers. Play the odds. P- pl- play Crimea River for the Lord of the Gods. Play number nine. Play number six. Play it for Lindsay and for Stevie Nicks. Play Nat King Cole. Play Nature Boy. Play Down in the Boondocks for Terry Malloy. Play It Happened One Night. And One Night If Sin... There's 12 million souls that are listening in. Play Merchant of Venice. Play Merchant of Death. Play Stella by Starlight for Lady Macbeth. Play Misty for me and that old devil moon. Play Anything Goes in Memphis in June. Play Lonely at the Top. And Lonely are the Brave. Play it for Houdini spinning around his grave. Play Jelly Roll Morton. Play Lucille. Play Deep in a Dream and play Driving Wheel. Play Moonlight Sonata in F-sharp. And the key to the highway for the king and the harp. Play Marching Through Gorgia. Then Dumbarton's drums. Play Darkness and Death Will Come When It Comes. Play Love Me or Leave Me by the Great Bud Powell. Blood stained banner. Play murder most foul.
3: What's new, pussycat? What'd I say? I said the soul of a nation will turn away. And it's beginning to go into a slow decay. And it's 36 hours press judgment day.
0: Then Bob Dylan, a few months after I see him on Hollywood Boulevard, releases a book called The Philosophy of Modern Song, where he assumes the role of the DJ Wolfman Jack and adds another 66 songs to the sacred playlist in Murder Most Foul, with little midnight howl sermons after each one, telling us that if we're wondering what happened to the late great country we grew up in and how we can make America great again, perhaps Feel So Good by Sonny Burgess can give us an idea, reminding us Bob Dylan does, that what we hear on those sun records of the 1950s is the sound that, quote, made America great. Murder Most Foul. The kind of prophecy that cures every deaf ear, whether you think it's heralding the horrific events of January 6, or whether you think it's perhaps more directly inspired, by the slow-motion hit on the sitting American president of the time, an ongoing assassination attempt that will stretch at least until November 2024, when I suspect Bob Dylan. Perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the last time, will sit at the piano in front of an audience of his peers and enact the last line of the last song and play Murder Most Foul and maybe play it again so that even if we see the credits roll on this great nation and the final irreversal of the long decay, we bury our minds in the hope, in the elegiac illusion, that it's all unfinished, that we'll be living it out for a great deal longer, and that we have not seen the end or 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 maybe something else will happen maybe something will rise maybe something rowdy maybe something Maybe Cinderella and Romeo will fuck. Maybe Einstein will stop begging and whip out that electric violin. As Dr. Filt's nurse flushes out the cyanide and the fifth daughter on the twelfth night learns to keep a fucking secret. Maybe the sounds of murder most foul, wherever it is, that Bob Dylan may play it. Maybe the Phantom of the Opera will stop punishing Casanova and Elliot will stop pounding pound and the Jokers will stop lying and the dwarfs will stop pretending Madonna is black. Maybe an army of some tough sons of bitches will be recruited from the orphanages by Joanna to defy Louise's reign, to depose the masters of war and overthrow Jane, and the wicked messengers will be ignored, and Mr. Jones will find the Lord, and the idiot wind, going easy with its answers, will make the rivers flow to the meter of Mr. Tambourine, and to the glory of man, and not to his defeat. This episode of Filthy Armenian Adventures was written and voiced by your host Alec Mohibian, supported entirely by the rug merchant, cigar singers, and oligarchs of the night who subscribe to the show on Patreon. Join their enlightened society and get access to twice as many adventures. Please go to Patreon.com/FilthyArmenian and become a patron of this travel agency for the soul. Follow us on X and Instagram at Filthy Armenian. Come to White Christmas on January 6 in L.A. This episode is dedicated. To Bob Dylan, thanks for the memories, to be continued, and never say goodbye.